My name is Dario Hasenstab, Ivory Green International Affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagritz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the Western bubble. Today, we will analyze how to understand symptoms of decay in the Western bubble. Because while Western societies have many strengths and significant weaknesses, in order to analyze these, we use the concept of the Western bubble. If you would like to know more about this concept, how this podcast started, or who we are, make sure to listen to our introduction episode. Hi, Balder. Why are we speaking about this topic today? Why are we speaking about symptoms of decay? Hi, Dario. Well, because the foundations of our Western society are under threat, and there are an increasing a num- number of signs of that, of, of symptoms of that uh, threats to our foundations, of what makes the West the West, what makes us liberal and democratic. And it seems that nobody really seems to talk about it, or at least seems to deeply care about it. Instead, we care about things that only matter if those foundations are strong. If those foundations are decaying, nothing else really matters. What is the bubble? So today we're talking a bit more about practical issues and we will be focusing a lot more on what is the damage. That's the reason why there is no fact sheet and we are immediately going into uh, the bubble aspect. Um, And this part is also going to be rather short because a lot of these conversations we've already had and it's really just important to understand again what is the bubble aspect of why are we only focusing on managerial issues and not so much about uh, the real foundations so when we're talking about the bubble thinking with regards to you know us focusing on symptoms rather than the underlying issues what type of conversations and what type of wrong conversations are we having in society Liberal Western society has a foundation of institutions that um, are essential for the well-functioning of that society. And those institutions, we did an episode on institutions a long time ago already, uh, are needed for anything else to function properly within Western liberal society, or if you live in a communist society, communist institutions, or any other type of uh, institutions, right? But we live in a Western society, so we've got liberal democratic institutions. And those institutions nowadays are taken for granted, and they're no longer protected by public opinion. They're no longer protected by politicians. Instead, they have become part of political debates, of policy debates. They have become part of our conversations about right versus left, about populism versus the establishment. And so by not having that separation anymore between institutions and the more subjective kind of conversations that are built on those institutions, we are actually cutting away the legs of our very uh, own society. We are cutting away the, the, the basis for what makes the West the West. And that is deeply, deeply dangerous. So rather than separating a conversation about um, do we want to implement a left-wing policy versus a right-wing policy from how the civil service works, how justice works, the civil service and justice and overall state operations become part of that left versus right debate. And that is incredibly dangerous. And what are some of the some of the other foundations and institutions we're talking about? So obviously separation of powers, um, but what else is there? 
Well, at a very basic level, a civil service, and that includes the police, but it also includes, for example, the civil service that supports government operations, that supports government departments, that is separate from the people in government. The people in government are part of a political machine and they fight political fights. Uh, the prime minister, the president of a country, is a politician. They have to make subjective choices, uh, make policy based on their convictions, hopefully their ideology, if they have one. Uh, and that is uh, perfectly fine as long as they can rely on a state mechanism that doesn't change according to their politics, that doesn't change according to their ideology. A state, oper state operations that function regardless of what policy decisions and political decisions are being made. And then obviously beyond the civil service, you've got your justice department, you've got uh, trust in judges, trust in um, internal committees that check uh, for uh, corruption that hold politi <clears throat> excuse me that hold politicians to account all those kinds of basic mechanisms that are required for anything else to happen productively um, and 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 unfortunately those mechanisms have become part of the political discussion and as a result are no longer what they should be for a liberal western society Exactly. Everything in society, in particular these foundations, are up for discussion now. And there is no longer that basis of what is right and what isn't right. And this is something that we've discussed in the past, especially under the consideration that newer generations, and that's me, hello, I'm the newer generations, um, is that I or we didn't have to fight for these foundations. And the example that I gave in the past is Schengen is that the free travel of people, you know, that I can fly from Germany to Spain and I I have to show my ID to prove that this ticket is mine, but I don't really have to show my passport. That's something that I was born with and something that I felt incredibly attacked when I once was asked for a passport, when during COVID people told me, no, you can't move across, uh, across country or state lines anymore. So that's one of these examples is that there are a lot of foundations that are being taken for granted, particularly by my generation, but I would also claim by, by older generations. And that there's no longer a fight for these foundations, that they are being taken for granted or even being taken down by, by us. Right. So if the 19th century was the century of changing institutions, strengthening institutions to set up the basis of liberal democracy as we know it today, the 19th century was the century where uh, monarchies were reduced in power, where parliaments were strengthened, etc. Then the 20th century comes along and you've got a relatively fragile liberal system with institutions supporting that system but you also have very very tough ideological debates which leads to the rise of communism leads to the rise of fascism and you've got serious debates of do we want these liberal this liberal democratic framework or is there a better governance system then the disaster of the second world war happens and then the generation after the second world war looks at that and says okay look we've we cannot allow these ideological debates about left versus right, about um, the role of government interfere with a liberal democratic foundation, certainly in Europe and in, in, in if you like, uh, North America. Uh, we cannot let these ideological debates get out of hand because the Second World War showed us what would be the end result of that. So as a result, 
we are going to make sure that there is a objective, if you can speak of objectivity in, in the world, an objective basis of what our, how, for how our society functions, of what we're supposed to do. And we're going to work really hard to, to defend those institutions, to, inf uh, to defend that basis. And everything beyond that basis becomes politics about, hey, do you want higher taxation or lower taxation? Do you want more immigrants or fewer immigrants? Do you want um, to take care of the environment or do you want to take care of business? Those are policy political debates that can only happen when we have that strong foundation of institutional liberalism in place. And so the generation, the two generations, or maybe two and a half generations after the Second World War were the ones who really had to work incredibly hard, who had to have the tough conversations, who had to make sure that all the mechanisms were set up to protect those foundations. Then we hit the 1990s and the new generations and they actually are born and are raised in a society that that, that assume that those foundations are going to be there, that they, they never had to worry about democracy, they never had to worry about liberalism. And so for them, it becomes about other issues. It becomes about their own identity. It becomes about their own um, desires and their own intuitive morality. And the respect for that basic foundational institutional framework is lost as a result. Another aspect that we've talked about in the past is that as soon as generations became too comfortable with these real important foundational conversations being settled, they became very managerial. There wasn't a leader anymore, but it was basically about managing society, which is one of the reasons why there are so many problems uh, in, in nowadays society with the environment, with um, inequality, with a lot of these conversations, which I think... I assume, is then fueling that current drive to maybe even dismantle these foundations because you, as particularly as a very young generation, I see this now you know, with a lot of these protests that are happening, especially within the climate movement, these foundations aren't working for you anymore because they aren't protecting you know, what you really care about, equality and the environment. So therefore, you feel like you need to dismantle these foundations despite the fact that it's more about the managerial attitude of the last 30, 40 years rather than the foundations from uh, 70, 70 years ago. And it's that managerial attitude is fascinating because what it does, at the start at least, is it makes politicians behave like civil servants. It turns politicians into the institutions, right? So the, the, the really nice balance that you have in, in, in the in the theoretical liberal framework is you've got the managerial institutions that manage day-to-day -day affairs, that make sure that the trains run on time, that make sure that corruption gets punished, that make sure that criminals go to prison, uh, that make sure that politicians don't step out of bounds, that politicians are held accountable. That is the managerial side of society, the institutions, and then you've got politicians who have the ideological debate. That, that talk about this is where we should take the country ideologically, a little bit more left-wing, a little bit more right-wing, a little bit more capitalist, a little bit more socialist, based on that. But the moment that uh, politicians' leadership turns into managers, they're stepping into the area of those institutions. They're, they're breaking the barrier between civil service, the state, and government politics. 
And at that moment, everything is up for grabs because we know that we can criticize politicians. So if we then crit can criticize the managers, we can also criticize the people working for those managers. We can criticize uh, the civil servants. We can criticize justice because everything all of a sudden becomes political. And so instead of having a well-functioning system plus a interesting, inspirational ideological debate, we have neither of the two anymore. We no longer have an inspirational ideological debate. We don't no longer have the important political conversations that we're supposed to have. And we no longer have a neutral, objective, respected system at the core of everything. And can you explain to our listeners what is the problem? So when we're talking about the damage of all of this, there are three examples that we want to look look at today. Uh, that's first, the Trump court cases. Um, and second, Boris Johnson stepping down as a member of parliament. And last, we want to talk about the last generation uh, in Germany and an incident that, that occurred prior to a protest. But let's start with the uh, Trump court cases. Um, and there's a couple of aspects that we want to highlight. And I think the first one is that... Um, so Donald Trump um, was uh, basically, there's two current court cases against him, one for uh, falsifying business records and the other one for allegedly retaining classified, uh, cl classified documents. And so the first part is that um, Donald Trump is now going full on attack and trying to undermine the institutions that are that are dealing with these cases. So there is trying to undermine the, uh, the judici judiciary. And that is very consistent with Trump's behavior throughout, right? His psychology is very much one, as far as we can tell, that is that is transactional. There, there, there have been lots of comparisons with sort of the mafia, right? Like he wants loyalty, he demands loyalty, and if anyone around him, whether it's the whether it's a assistant or whether it is um, the FBI, if anyone shows lack of loyalty towards Donald Trump. They're on the bad side of his uh, worldview and they need to be attacked. So this is very consistent with, with his behavior going after. And that in itself is, of course, really bad behavior for the respect of institutions, right? Any politician who attacks institutions, who goes after the FBI, who goes after the Justice Department, who goes after civil servants who are not supposed to be political, is harming the very foundation of their society. However, the bigger picture here is not so much Trump. Yes, what he's doing is harmful to the system, is harmful to those foundations, but he can only do that effectively, and he is quite effective at it in many ways. People are talking about it. People are not dismissing his words. Uh, people are continuously debating um, the neutrality of these institutions and are, are asking themselves, is, is there anything correct in what Trump says, etc., etc.? He creates debate, and that is only possible because of a long path of the establishment already not respecting those institutions. Not being as blatant as Donald Trump, but you do have an establishment that for the past 25 years or so has been increasingly negligent in defending those liberal foundations. And an example of this is something that Donald Trump actually is involved in as well, but would be Hillary Clinton. Um, because so during the 2016 campaign for, for the well, position of the United States president, you had Donald Trump running against Hillary Clinton. 
And there was this huge, or at least from, I remember this from my perspective, uh, being very young, not having studied international relations yet, very little understanding about uh, politics. It was kind of overblown in my perception from Donald Trump. And that was um, Hillary Clinton using private email servers uh, for matters of state. Something that nowadays I would say, oh, that's a terrible thing. You're not allowed to do that. There should be consequences of some sorts. But back then I thought, oh, this is just Donald Trump, you know, overly politicizing a small mistake, something that shouldn't really matter uh, because, you know, he's even worse than her. And it's important to remember the context here, right? Because it was hugely overblown in many ways in the sense that Hillary Clinton was subject to enormous abuse from the right, from the Republicans, from Trump, from others. Just like, by the way, Trump had gone after Obama in horrible racist ways. Um, But Hillary Clinton, also because she was a woman, she was a victim of enormous exaggerations, um, just insanely invented stories. There was the ridiculous story of Pizzagate, where she was supposed to run a pedophile ring. Complete insanity like that. Completely ridiculous stories made up about her to discredit her somehow among certain groups of voters. Still, though, within, within that context it is still absolutely essential to hold politicians to account for what they do wrong. And I would imagine that the Clinton campaign was in a bunker mentality, right? They were getting attacked from all sides. A lot of those attacks being complete inventions, complete fabrications. And from a Hillary Clinton campaign perspective, you can understand how they then just lash out against anyone criticizing them. However... Hillary Clinton absolutely did this wrong. She should have taken more care of her emails. She had a responsibility there. And instead of the democratic America, liberal America, standing up and saying, hey, you know what? We reject all those inventions, fabrications about Pizzagate and whatever. However, Hillary, you absolutely need to take responsibility for what you did here. You were absolutely wrong in um, in this particular aspect, you broke the rules. You may have even broken the law. And as a result, you need to stand up and say, I did so and I respect the system and I will take responsibility for doing so. Instead, it was just dismissed as something that is political from the right and we don't really have to care about it. And this is very natural in the 21st century where it's all about this tribalism. Your tribe gets attacked, often unjustly so, then you defend yourself, no matter what. You defend your leader, you defend Hillary, whatever the facts are. And that means that we can no longer um, have a foundation of what is true and not. And this goes way back even before Hillary Clinton to her her husband. Um, When Bill Clinton lied on television about his affair with Monica Lewinsky when he was president, he undermined the very institution that he is supposed to represent. It's not so much about one person lying, it's about a president trying to evade justice, uh, a president trying to evade responsibility for his actions. And so when Bill Clinton lies about something relatively unimportant, let's face it, an affair with, it's it's very ugly to have an affair with an intern, Uh, it's very ugly the way he dealt with it, 
but in the bigger picture, it's not a big deal. But what is a big deal is him trying to avoid justice, him trying to avoid um, the responsibility that he should take on as political leader. And in that sense, that establishment, liberal establishment, over the past 25 years has increasingly been opening the gates to the Donald Trumps of this world by not respecting the difference between basic accountability institutions, basic justice, and the politics that is built upon those institutions. And the same happened in the United Kingdom, where the establishment opened the gates to the United Kingdom version of Donald Trump, uh, Boris Johnson, who, I mean, we have recorded a lot of episodes on the United Kingdom, simply because there's always a lot of things to talk about, anything that connected that's connected to Liz Truss or Boris Johnson for that, um, for that reason. And in the past, we talked about Boris Johnson stepping down as prime minister for countless scandals and everything happening there. And however, it never really happened out of this, I made a mistake, let me step down. It more happened from outside pressure and the system, uh, system forcing him to step down. And so this saga continues. Um, where Boris Johnson is still a member of parliament, well, was a member of parliament, because he has recently stepped down after he received a letter from the Privileges Committee that looked into his behavior as prime minister during lockdown, where he allegedly, or I think now you can say it was proven, that he violated uh, his own rules uh, that he basically, his government set up, and he had parties in Downing Street, um, and he try to cover this up and lie to the committee and lie to parliament. And so now he stepped down. However, he didn't step down because he admitted, you know, I did something wrong, but rather to avoid receiving a 90-day suspension as a member of parliament, something hugely embarrassing. Yeah, in order to avoid that embarrassment and rather than uh, be an adult and take responsibility for his own actions, he uh, can now still say that he's not being that he's not being sanctioned by parliament, right? And that, of course, is a perfect example of this. Once again, though, um, this is on the heels of a long trajectory of, of not respecting those institutions. Boris Johnson, just like Donald Trump, can do this only because over the past 10 years, the Tory party, because they've been in power, and if Labour had, you know, Labour also is responsible for a lot of um, these issues under Tony Blair, but... Uh, the Tory party has been step by step chiseling away at the very foundations of what is right and what is wrong when it comes to those institutions. So the fact that Boris Johnson is like an extreme example, just like Donald Trump is an extreme symptom of what's wrong, in many ways the responsibility lies with the decent, and I'm doing the air quotes, the quotation marks, uh, decent politicians who know right from wrong who are not the clowns like Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, who are the serious politicians, but they have allowed themselves around Brexit, for example, to, to corrupt the very institutions that are supposed to guide the whole society and especially politicians. I should, by the way, um, on a side note, point out that one of the reasons why we mention the UK so often, because that's what you started with just now, is that, first of all, it's a bit boring to always talk about the United States, um, and from a European perspective, first of all, the United Kingdom is politically the most influential in establishing liberal democracy. Um, philosophically, you can go back to the French and all that, but, but from a practical policy perspective, Britain has been at the forefront 
of creating the liberal foundations that we all enjoy in Western Europe nowadays. And unfortunately, it is also the country that is most at risk of losing those liberal foundations. It's most fragile when it comes to its own institutions, its own accountability. There is an awful lot of deep corruption and deep um, damaging dynamics that are undermining the very essence of what Britain believes itself to be. And in this case, you again see Boris Johnson attacking the institutions, basically denying the fact that they've produced evidence that uh, he will recklessly uh, misled, misled the commons. And this is very much, you know, both of these cases, Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, are, are basically individuals that are symptoms of the failures of the past 40 years attacking institutions. However, there are also other examples where institutions are suddenly attacking themselves. Um, and this is the, this is the case of uh, the last generation uh, in Germany. So the last generation, I well, maybe the more international audience doesn't know this, are climate protests uh, within Europe. I don't think they've spilled over to the United States yet, um, where young people are deciding that Fridays for Future was a nice idea. So these mass protests for climate action, but these peaceful protests are not enough to convince politicians because politicians are not doing enough. Therefore, we need to disrupt society. And this we've seen in the, ca in the cases of uh, damaging or, well, at least throwing stuff at paintings. Um, and now more and more what we've seen is people gluing themselves to the streets, which, uh, I mean, I think both of us have, have expressed that this is a rather stupid form of protest because I personally don't think it convinces anyone if you glue yourself to the street. Uh, it has more this, I'm going to hold my breath until you do what I say attitude. Um, however, it is a form of protest. Um, and I mean, the right to protest is one that, you know, Western societies value or should value very highly. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, negative feelings in society towards this form of protest, but I think that's more or less fine. If society tells you you're stupid, that's okay. However, and this is the case, uh, and this case basically happened last week in Germany, and this is something that personally makes me feel very angry, so I'm going to try to contain myself and not uh, portray this in a, in a too, well, angry matter. But uh, here we had, and this happened in Bavaria, one of the states of Germany. Um, basically what happened is that a climate protester, a well-known climate protester, announced that this afternoon he would, together with others, glue himself to the street again to protest against the government's climate policy. And what happened here is that and the Bavarian police um, came to his house. Uh, basically they, they knocked on the door and said, hello, we're going to arrest you now. We're going to preemptively arrest you so that you cannot commit a crime this afternoon. And then he said no. And then they said yes. And then they dragged him out of the house without even allowing to put on shoes. And they just arrested him for a few hours and then released him in the uh, well in, towards the evening when he couldn't protest anymore. And this all on the basis of a law that the Bavarian parliament passed in 2018 um, which was aimed against combating radical extremism, so combating terrorism. 
Um, and it basically allows the police to detain a person if this is necessary to prevent the imminent commission or continuation of an offense of significant public importance or a criminal offense. So they now used a terrorism law to stop a climate activist from protesting. Yeah, it's, when you told me, because I wasn't aware of it, um, I was also equally horrified. This is This is exactly... The kind of thing that um, should keep us all up at night uh, because it shows a very clear lack of understanding of how our society is supposed to function. Look, if you want to create an authoritarian regime, fine, then say so and say, we, we believe that democracy no longer works. It's time for um, some kind of authoritarian fascist or communist or whatever kind of regime you want to establish and then we can have an ideological debate about that but as long as we live in a liberal western society and we claim to be democratic and we claim to be free we need to understand the absolute limits of the state we need to understand what the state can and cannot do towards its individual citizens. And this was horribly corrupted after 9-11 with the war on terror. Because the war on terror all of a sudden made us incredibly fearful, way more fearful, by the way, than rational analysis um, allowed, right? I mean, there, there, yes, terrorism was a problem, but it wasn't anywhere as big a problem as it was made out to be during the war on terror. We started forgetting about the red lines in our free society, we gave governments and state way more power than they should be entitled to in a free society. And we never afterwards started correcting that. We never went back and said, okay, we went a little bit crazy. We were a little bit afraid of Al-Qaeda and 9-11 had traumatized us dramatically and uh, the bombings in Europe had traumatized us. And we did some silly things. Let's now go, go back and revisit that and let's correct the mistakes from 10 years earlier. We never did that. We kept those incredibly damaging laws and actions, policies in place until today. And this is exactly the result. We no longer respect um, the rights of the individual versus the power of the state. And we no longer seem to understand that the state needs to be deeply, deeply contained in what it is allowed to do and what it isn't allowed to do. And and these laws were intensified in Europe, at least, uh, especially after, you know, I mean, we talked last week, we talked about Charlie Hebdo and then the Paris terrorist attacks. In Germany, you had a few, again, the word terrorism, we've talked about this in an episode, in an episode. message that says today I'm going to blow myself up and therefore I'm going to do this which is why I believe I mean this law was already controversial in 2018 but which is why I believe it passed and then earlier you said something basically before we record this episode and we both were you know really angry at, at this happening you said well I mean this is now saying oh you're a, you're a climate activist uh, we're going to detain you that sounds different if you say oh you're you're a Muslim and Ramadan is coming up, so we're going to detain you because 
God knows what you're going to do. You know, that it's it's a very, very scary power that the police now holds that the, the government gave to them based on based on nothing. Exactly. So you can use any kind of horrifying stereotype, any kind of horrifying sense of stability and control, and and based on that um, take this kind of action and and the consequences are very severe now we know how how hard it was to be a, a muslim man of a certain age during the war on terror we know how difficult it was how much inherent racism and discrimination took place institutionally already during that time and rather than learning from that we're now going in overdrive and we're going way way beyond whatever we should have uh, done at the time right this is a world, you know, there are these famous quotes, but this is a world where at some point they're going to come for everyone, right? At some point, no one is safe anymore. And um, it is something that should really, really keep all of us awake at night if you care about liberal democratic democracy. Because once power is given to leadership, it's not given away easily anymore. It's much harder to take power away than to give it. Uh, and we've given enormous power to the police, to the state, and to the government. And the result is that uh, we can no longer rely on, on basic liberties and basic freedoms. And we've also talked about how in COVID this was damaged even further. It is a very dark path that we're going down. But Polder, I, I have nothing to hide. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not planning on... on and doing any illegal things anytime soon. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's the classic classic one, right? Uh, I've got no problem because I'm a good person. Well, uh, wait until next time you write a slightly critical uh, article about the German government and the police will be knocking on your door because you're undermining uh, respect for basic leadership. Um, it, See, it, it, I, it becomes a very, very scary road. See, I would at least understand that, you know, if 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 at least the police were to prosecute me because I'm critical of the government, but protesting, you know, against against the climate policy, um, I don't know. It's especially because it's one of those topics that I think the majority of people can agree on that that's an important issue, and especially because we're talking about the right to protest. Um, the fact, and I'm going to say this one more time, the fact that the police in Germany arrested someone because he said he was going to protest i don't know i'm i'm so sorry that that, that there should be and, and the promise there's not a big outrage the when you protest as a, a climate activist and you glue yourself to the road or you do whatever it is that you want to do that has very little practical impact for society but the symbolic nature of you being allowed to do that and you being allowed to say to the government, I'm standing up and I am not, um, I'm not being violent. I'm, I'm not committing any horrible type of crime. I am just taking a symbolic position against what my government is doing. The fact that that is reason enough for the police to arrest you means that we are very, very deep down the rabbit hole already that we are no longer in touch with the very liberal foundations that we should care about so much. Because all these three examples show that we're sleepwalking into a world where we lose these foundations. I mean, we're, I would almost say we're already half there, but at some point we're going to wake up in 2050 or in 2060 
we look around and there is nothing left of the liberal foundations, the liberal nature that we are also proud of. It's just gone. And does it mean that we can still go and vote once every four years? Sure. But the, 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 the fabric of liberal society is not simply going to vote every four years. It is being protected as an individual from state intervention. It is being protected against institutions and politics and institutions being separate from each other and politicians being held accountable by institutions rather than the institutions being a tool for politicians to abuse at their leisure. And what now? And how do we avoid this when we're looking into the future? What do we do now? Um, how do we avoid us already being halfway there? Well, how do we go back? Well, step one is stop worrying so much about Donald Trump and Boris Johnson in the sense that they are the symptoms. They are, they are horrible politicians. And um, I would very much hope that neither one of them ever gets back into office. But they are not the underlying problem. The underlying problem is an establishment that has started polit politicizing institutions and that has stopped taking responsibility for their own tribe. And a very clear example of something that we should go back to um, and that we're not doing in the moment is, if I may, you spoke about your country. Let me speak about the Netherlands for a second. Um, the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch really horribly, horribly messed up with the massacre of Srebrenica. For those people who don't know what I'm talking about, um, Muslims were taken, uh, there was a UN peacekeeping force with Dutch um, soldiers as part of the UN peacekeeping force protecting Srebrenica. And um, Serbian, um, Serbian militants, led by General Mladic, came in and they took thousands of Muslims away and murdered them while the Dutch uh, while the Dutch UN peacekeepers didn't do a thing, didn't lift a finger. And there are these horrible images of their leader actually drinking champagne with Mladic and all that. That was a horrible disaster of Dutch policymaking. The Dutch government afterwards issued a report. That report was very critical, said, hey, you as the Dutch government, you're not completely responsible because there were also the French and there was the UN, but you let these things happen. And what did the Dutch government do? They resigned in mass. The whole Dutch government resigned and said, we have to take responsibility. And the prime minister decided, Wim Kok at the time, decided not to run again, to take responsibility for major policy failure and to allow the basic foundations of liberal democracy to work well. Now, if you look over the past 15 years or so, there has been a Dutch government that has been responsible for disaster after disaster in terms of basic institutional failure. And no one has actually taken serious responsibility for that. They all the time go, oh, darn, this is, this is, this is terrible. Uh, we're really going to work very hard to do it better. And we accept that, that, that this was really bad and we made very big organizational mistakes. Um, but we will not... Uh, resign. No one is going to resign. We will just do better in the future. And as a result, you do not hold yourself accountable. You keep on pushing for the same tribal politics that is corrupting the whole system, that is all corrupting the whole institutional framework. So we need to go back to a world where politicians resign, where politicians take it on the chin if they do something wrong, 
where if they're being told by an independent committee that they've broken the rules, that they've broken the law, that they've engaged in corruption, that they say that they have, that they accept it, they accept their punishment, they don't run again, they understand that their responsibility goes beyond their day-to-day political policymaking, and um, that not everything is a political fight against the other side. Um, you need politicians who stand up for that, but we also need the electorates to hold politicians to account for that. And even if someone from your tribe that you really like um, has done something wrong, like Hillary Clinton with the emails, you have to say so, and you have to criticize your tribe, you have to criticize your leadership, and for one election you have to stop voting for your tribe, just to send out a message that there's something more important than the actual politics, that the foundations of your system are much, much more relevant to you than any policy decision that your tribe can make at any given time. This seems like a great moment to end today's conversation on symptoms of Western decay. If you have any questions, comments or regards, make sure to send us an email to thewesternbubble at gmail.com and we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes. Thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today. Make sure to join us again next week when we burst the Western bubble. That is it from my side, Balder. Which closing quote did you pick for us today? As we just mentioned, Britain has been at a core of the development of the liberal democratic model that we all enjoy in the West currently and have done so over the past 70 years or so. And one of the people who was at the very heart of that in the 18th century was Edmund Burke, a philosopher, politician. And he said, the greater the power, the more dangerous the abuse. Thank you.